But um, when I got saved, we met in the pastor's lounge on a Monday because he was looking for home cell leaders, life group leaders. So my wife and I, after a week being saved, we were in his lounge. A week later, we were leading a home cell. Two months, two weeks saved, now we're leading a home cell. The thing is, did we know what we were doing? Answer, no. But we did the best we could. And if we, I remember that first night we had a home cell, I read 1 Corinthians 13. You can't go wrong, it's the love chapter. You know, so everyone felt loved by the end of that, that night. Um, three months later, um, I went and did a crusade at a town. Well, I rented the hall, my own finance. I printed the brochures myself. I told everybody in that small town, you need to come and hear the truth about, about the resurrection of the dead and the, about eternal judgment and about the kingdom of God. The whole place was full with people. I'd never preached in my life before. No one had taught me, this is what you do, this is how you start, this is how you end, this is what you do with people. And uh, I just stood up, I'd listened to a cassette tape for about three weeks, I was petrified. I was petrified of, the, of, um, of preaching, because no one had taught me, so... I just simply listened to this cassette tape, I don't know how many times, when I stood at the pulpit, I pressed play, and the cassette came out of my mouth. I just preached what I'd listened to. I said what I'd heard. And so I just re redid this man's message. And at the end of the meeting, I looked at the pastor and I said, what do I do now? He says, pray. Okay, okay, let's pray. Stand, let's pray. We prayed, and I said, now what? Looked at him, he said, salvation. So I said, okay, if you want to get saved, come and stand in the front here. Come and meet Jesus. So people, I, was, I wasn't very nice. I wasn't polite. I didn't know how to do the charismatic, hallelujah, praise God, brother, come to the front. I just said, hey, do you want to get saved? Come here. No, get saved. <laughs> and um, then at the end of that, I said, now what? He says, pray for the sick. I said, okay, are you sick? Anyone sick here? Come here. You're going to get healed. I was just bold. It was... Raw, it was like, this is what I knew God had called me to do. And people got healed. A woman got healed of diabetes. I went back to that town a month later, and I went and visited the people. I said, thank you for praying for me. You, you prayed for me, and I'm healed of diabetes. And I was amazed, because I never knew that healing was happening then. I heard about it, but I never experienced it. And I think the thing that happened to me is a big, a big awakening happened to me, because... Number one, it was my hands that was on her. It was not my power. It was not fancy words of prayer. I was not qualified having done so many theological whatevers. I was just born again three months. I was messed up. I was still dealing with stuff in my life. I was not perfect. But God found someone who would dare to believe and do what he asked us to do. And as a result of that, God touched that person. I was humbled. And I was excited. And I'm glad the humbling was first because I knew it was not me. It was not Kia. It was Jesus. And so that, that caused a massive excitement in my life. So I was ready to lay hands on anybody, pray for anybody. And there was a boldness that came. And I think that is what's lacking in the church. Because in our day, when I was young, it was common to just 
believers just to stop people and talk to them and pray for them. I went and got on a vehicle and drove down a farm road and said with a pastor next to me, he was following, he's an American guy. I said, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go down that road and whoever's house we come to, I'm going to get out, introduce myself and tell them, God sent me to you for such a time to pray for you. And we did. We found people. We came to them and we would say, God has sent us. That's why we're here. Sat down, had tea with them told them why I was there, and they began to weep. And I said, I know, because you need to give your life to Jesus. <laughs> and so they did. And it was so easy. It's like, come on, what's the problem here? Now, today in Christianity, we got into, we got, if we are qualified, we've been through these many courses. Are you good enough? Have you been checked out for, it's like an animal coming into the farmyard. You checked out for quarantine to see if you haven't got any weird diseases or ticks that you carry. Now, with this kind of Christianity, it was just a bold, it's in the Word, let's go do it. That's what evangelism is. It's in there, let's go do it. And so, I think with us, we have seen, I don't know, one year I counted, um, we went to, uh, been going to Mozambique, and uh, I did that for 12 years. And, and the way it started was very simple. Someone gave me a torn piece of paper off the corner with a number on it with Joab Sambini's name, his telephone number in Maputo. And this old lady got off her knees and down on the Durban beachfront and said, Sonny, you go to Maputo. And I said, hang on, there's fighting there. Renamo Frilima says, you go, she didn't even, you go to Maputo and you phone this man. When you two get together, I know God's going to do something big. So I did. It wasn't some prophet coming to town and prophesying in King James or whatever. It was nothing to do with prophecy. It was simply a lady saying, go and do this. And there was something about the conviction of God that got me to go there. And I didn't have a 4x4 four four with air conditioning. It was very simple. I had a motorcycle. Now hang on, from Durban to Maputo, that's a long way, through Swaziland, through Renama, Frilima country, war-torn. And yes, if God calls, He will make sure you get there. When you're in His will, you're protected in perfection. Nothing. When you're in His permissive will, when you're in this perfect will, nothing will happen. When you're in this permissive will, you're kind of on the edge and you're wondering whether you should or shouldn't. That's when it's dangerous. And so, yeah, from Durban to Maputo on a motorcycle, packing my back, enough food for a week, spares for the motorcycle. I traveled. It took me a whole day getting through the border posts. And I found this man. And for 12 years, ministry happened in Maputo. It was at the time when Chisano, President Chisano was there. He opened up the gates of the nation, allowing other ministries to come in that uh, President Michelle did not allow. And so we came in with a wave of the gospel to where the Mozambican people did not know that you could be healed. They weren't allowed to call altar calls in their churches because that was not, you could not do that. So for six years at least, I know one man told me for six years he could not bring a challenge to salvation, pray for the sick, for a shepherd to love a sheep. He was not allowed to touch them. How do you lead a church like that? And we came in with this gospel and we said, listen, the hand of God is open over Mozambique again. Come, he's, his blessing is upon. The people erupted. I'll never forget those moments. A motorcycle, not a four by four. 
And yes, I've walked for three days into Mozambique where no one, I don't know where it was, under armed guard and preached to, preached to, I think, 800 pastors who came. No cell phones. They weren't invented then. There was no radio signals out there. But the word of mouth got out. On those days, when the moon's full, next time, be there and someone will be there. We did. We walked in three days, spoke to a six, seven. The most glorious time. Walked in. No motorcycles. Nothing. You walked. You just, when are we going to stop over that hill? When are we going to stop over that hill? And that hill kept moving for three days. Because when we got to that hill, it moved to the next. Hang on. The next hill. So we just knew that that was the privilege of sharing this gospel. So I want you to know, I just want to read some things here to you. What, according to Jesus, was the purpose of his whole mission? Why do we have church? Why are we here? Second one, what is the purpose of Christianity? And there are three statements that are so powerful that answers those questions. Number one, it's in Luke 5.32, I came to call sinners to repentance. Simple. I just called sinners to repentance. Secondly, he said, I came to save that which was lost. No, I didn't come to save the lost. I came to save and bring back that thing that we lost back there that causes people to come to repentance. That thing which was lost, which is found in Luke 19.10. I know we often say he's come to save the lost. No, that which say causes people to turn to repentance. That which was lost. What is that? The love of God. It's that thing that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lost it right back then. Those ancestors back then, through the flood, beyond. What did they lose? They lose this one thing which causes sin in this world, which has stayed. One man, sin came into the world. Through one man, righteousness and peace has come. One man, it was through Adam and Eve. The other man is Jesus Christ who brought truth. What is it that was lost? It was that moment when Satan stood up and asked Eve, Surely God did not say that if you eat of that thing, you will surely die. Surely. Surely he didn't say that. Come on, Eve, really. Look at that fruit. Isn't it nice? Don't you want to touch it, taste it? There's one thing that God told you not to do. Why would he hold that back from you? Don't you want to be like God? You can know the difference between good and evil. You can be like God. Of course, Adam, he also followed and he took it. And yes, the eyes were opened and they knew the difference between good and evil. In other words, they became little gods. And that's called sin. And they hid themselves in the garden. God came walking in the evening. Adam, where are you? It's like an echo that goes on through eternity. Where are you? Where are you? Mankind, where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding under a bush? <coughs> What's kept you? Why are you hiding from me? What are you guilty of? What are you ashamed of? That's the very thing. We've lost truth. It's got nothing to do with tribe, nation, tongue, privilege, nothing. It's got everything to do with what you believe. Because what you believe determines your destiny. We're born from the womb. We end in the tomb. Then where? Where? In eternity. Because eternity is beyond the grave. And so this thing of the gospel, it's the church is being commissioned to bring back this truth back into the earth. That which was lost is this. God has set you free. He who knew no sin, he who could not practice sin, Jesus, became sin. In other words, he took the punishment of sin that we might have the righteousness of Christ. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might. He who knew no sickness took sickness for us that we might be healed. Yes, the two go together. That's why when it comes to evangelism, one of the most powerful tools that this world is looking for is the power to heal, power to raise the dead, the power to change society without paying money. (laughs) Sorry about that one. But you do need to tithe, I understand. But you don't have to pay the pastor. Thank you, doctor. No, it doesn't cost. It's not the oil from Jerusalem, the water from Palestine. It's got nothing to do with those commodities. It's got everything to do with the power of the word of God. That sets the captives free. Because here it says, I came, I came to, to save that which was lost. And what's lost is trusting God. That's why the devil said, I know how to do this. I'm going to get you to question truth. I'm going to get you to question this. Because when you start questioning this, you're not in faith. You're in unbelief. In Hebrews 11.6, we know what that says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. First, you must believe that He exists. That He's risen. And He rewards, rewards those who continually and diligently seek Him. So, faith is vital. The third one is, I came to destroy the works of the devil. I love that. To destroy the works of the devil. Not not correct it, destroy it. Destroy means no evidence left. I like the voice Bible translation. It says, I came to liquidate the works of the devil. To liquidate means you and your company no longer exist. It means you are totally dethroned, you, you move out of office. We don't recognize you. You're not licensed. You have no purpose. That's what he means, to destroy the works of the devil. And the works of the devil is what? To keep us in unbelief, to keep us in unhealth, poor, thinking that God's never good enough. And evangelism is the message that's saying he is everything to your spirit, to your soul, and to your body. Trust him and you will live. Not just now, but you'll live eternally. So that's the message. The gospel is the power of God. And I know Romans 1.16, I just want to read it to you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. To everyone that believes. Yeah, you've got to believe it. And I tell you what, I've seen people believe the gospel and get radically changed. Cancers deflate under my hand. Bang. Little lumps are like bulbs, like a balloon under the skin. Just go down under the skin before the guy is saved. Convicted criminal in KwaZulu-Natal and Pinetown who had prayed for him. This guy had a lump on his neck. I remember putting my hand on his neck where this lump was. He's wanted by the police getting saved. Cursed this thing and it went down. He felt his shoulder and he was totally saved because he saw the signs and the wonders that causes you to believe. You okay? You hearing me all right? So it's the power of the gospel. And they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power. I love that. Luke 4.32. They were amazed at his teaching. And I love the book of Mark where it says... um, In the book of Mark, it says they had not heard anyone speak like that. They wondered, is this a new teaching or a new doctrine? Even the Pharisees, they have the same scriptures that that he reads. But he says it in a different way. And true, 
That's what the power of God is. It, it comes when you speak the word of God with authority. And he says, the word possessed power. Yes. This is not an ordinary book. These are not ordinary sentences. When you say these things, stuff happens. When you say anything that comes on the newspaper, radio, or TV, I, I, that, that, that just, whatever. This it stops planets. It makes you walk on water. It makes bread multiply in your hands. It makes stuff happen. It possesses power. And we, as, as an evangelism, you've got to believe that when you speak that word, just say the word, my servant shall be healed. You've got to know that when you say what he says, he can do what he does. That's the book of Acts in one sentence. If you go and say what I say, I can do what I do because you have represented, you've represented me correctly, so I can be who I want to be to who I want to be to, which is the lost. I'm here to still save the lost. So you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are. You do the works of an evangelist. I'm getting excited. You need to do the works of an evangelist because when you do the works of an evangelist, you discover your gifts. Most of, most of us want to discover our gifts. So, brother, my prophet, pastor, do I might have a gift of healing? Well, my answer to you is, well, why don't you go and save the lost? Because when you're doing that, the gift will manifest. It'll suddenly come alive in you. We try and make everything academic. These guys, they were not academic. Peter, fisherman, do you think he learned how to count? Well, I know you can count to 153 because he counted those fish when Jesus caught when he was, you know, he knew he could count 153. Yeah, he could count that far. But I mean... There's the power in the word. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power, yes. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. So I tell you what, there's something about this word that is so powerful. I tell you, when I got saved, I discovered the power of the I knew it wasn't me. Mark 16, 20 says this. And the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And God confirmed the word with signs following. What did God confirm? Them or what they said? Exactly. But most of us think, I need to be confirmed. And if you don't know the power of God's word, you are actually afraid to say what he says. But when you realize that the power, the anointing is on the word of God, what we do is we got to speak that word, make sure they hear it, then God can do it. It's so simple. It takes the pressure off me. It takes the pressure off us. You don't have to be Dr. Reverend Professor so-and-so to go and preach the gospel. No, you just need to know the word and speak what he says, which a five-year-old can do. You can teach them to do that. And that's where the power of God is because his word possesses power. That's where the power is. And so when you speak God's word, it happens. It's, it's not titled. You're not titled pastor or apostle or evangelist so-and-so. No, I understand there's greater anointings, but there's the power of God's word. They went everywhere. In Acts 8, they went and preached the word everywhere. Just people left the church. They were persecuted by, by Paul, Saul, who was persecuting the church. They scattered, and they preached the word everywhere. Grassroots evangelism, doing the work of an evangelist. They saturated a city just by preaching and sharing the word. 
I tell you what, there's, you've got collective audiences all over South Africa. Every time people go to work, you've got a collective audience. It's called a minibus church. They're all going in the same direction, looking in the same direction. You just turn around, look at them. Gospel. How many want to get saved? Absolutely. Get on the train. You do the same. Lunch hours in the office. Hey, guys, put your pens down. Shut your computers off. This is lunchtime. And there's your CEO director back there looking at you with big eyes. Excuse me, this is my hour. I don't work for you. This is my time. Back off or come and listen. Absolutely. I did it. I did this with, with pathologists, doctors. One of them was a Jew, my boss. He was a Jew. And I said, yeah. So, so, so I, I said, I want to preach to your guys. And he came and sat and listened to me. I was amazed. Scared because I might get fired, but it was my hour. <laughs> it was my hour. I said to them, I preached to them. I've done this, so I know it works. Yeah, come on. It's funny how people come up to you often and say, hey, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, we finish at five because I don't want to violate my, my right of serving this man. I want to serve him so that he gets saved. I don't want to take my, his time away so that I can do my little thing around the corner praying for someone. No, it's after hours, so it is a time of doing it. Jesus, and Jesus went about all Galilee, Cosmos, Cosmo area, town, Cosmos city. Teaching on their synagogues. Well, I don't know if there's synagogues here, but you can find preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of disease and all kinds of sickness among the people. Yes, yes. That's church. Church outside the box. You say, well, a church, we have four walls. No, there's church without walls. It's time to realign the design. That sounds good. Time to realign the design. That we need to put the walls down. So it doesn't mean to say your evangelism team does this. And quite honestly, I've heard of evangelism teams. How many of you are coming to be part of evangelism team? Four hands go up. Hallelujah. How many of you are coming to the prophetic conference next weekend? Everyone's hand goes up. Ah, what's, what's wrong with the picture? This is what's wrong. Prophetic conference, what can happen to me? Evangelism is what I've got to give. And we're scared of giving what we have. Because we don't know such as I have, Acts 3. You don't know what to give. When you know what you are and who you are and what you have, you're fearless of man. You have the boldness to speak. It's not about being politically correct. They were bold. They shared anything. They couldn't care about what the barriers were, what the political stuff was. They just shared the kingdom of God. That's a king and he's got a kingdom. He's coming. He's coming. He's going to shake nations. And we can help him begin to shake it as well. <laughs> so, so what was I talking about? Evangelism. And Jesus went out amongst the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing again. Matthew 9, 35. He did that amongst the people. And, and what I, if we want to be like Jesus, we do what Jesus does then you'll see what Jesus sees. So I, when I was first saved, back in, in Zimbabwe, a uh, pastor told me, you're a deacon. So I said, what's a deacon? Because we were confused. We, Sunday, Saturday afternoon, sitting on the lawn, pastor arrives on his motorcycle, gets off, sits down, says, this Sunday we want to put you in as deacons. We said, what's a deacon? So he said, well, it's in the Bible. I said, yeah. 
And uh, so I said, what do they do? He said, well, they serve the church. So I said, okay. So what must I do then? He says, you do nothing. You just keep doing what you're doing. We recognize what you do, but we're putting you in as a deacon because we know who and what you do. So it was simple. It was that. We became deacons. We didn't know what it was, but it was there. And so what I did was when I was coming home from working in the laboratories, the medical profession, I would stop into the people who gave their names to the church on Sunday when they got saved. So I'd get their addresses. Look at, this is Monday morning. I'd go and see them. Hello. How are you? Fine. We're part of Maybaran Chapel, the church. Are you doing all right? Do you know what you did on Sunday? Yes. Do you know you're saved? Yes. Do you want me to pray for you? Yes, please. Pray for them. God bless you. See you on Sunday and leave. Why? Just checking. You see, that's the heart of the people. You're loving the people. They'll say, no, we don't want to see you. We don't know if we're going to come to that church. Well, let me ask you, you know, where's life? Are you getting life? Was it life to you? We just talked to them. And then we'd come home. You remember that? It was just like, what's wrong? Come on. This is church. Today, quite honestly, I don't know if our church does that. They might get a phone call or a WhatsApp or a Skype or something. But you know, when you love people, you love people. And you get into their homes. Now, this is still my introduction. (sighs) So what is power evangelism then? I'm going to give you about five different places. Number one, it happens in open spaces. I love the open space of your car park driving in here. I thought, hmm. Crusade site. I honestly, I drive around. We were in Plet Bay, and I looked at this place. We had spoken to a, a Malawian church one evening, driving out, and there was an open area. I said, "Hey, there's a crusade site." Absolutely, you don't need people to travel to a certain place. You need to travel to where the people are in a certain place, and then have the ministry. And what's stopping the having a crusade. So open spaces. Number two, markets, where people could get, congregate. In Mozambique, wherever there was a fish market, a meat market, a vegetable market, perfect. They're not going anywhere. If they do, they're going to get robbed because there's no one watching their food. So you just stand up and start speaking and just say, hey, you know, just stick your hand up if you're saved. There's a crusade. And just win people to Jesus, seizing the moment. Open fields. Then there's arenas. Arenas. How many soccer fields amongst the schools are in your community? There's a field. There's an arena. Sport arena. That's a site. It's right in the community. Schools happen in communities. There is a site for a crusade, for reaching people. Go big. Go big. Oh, we've never done this before. Why not? Come on. Arenas. Stadiums. One-on-one evangelism. In Amos 9.11, here I want to bring the scripture. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. There is a time coming when you'll find there'll be more people getting saved than you'll have the chance to witness. But when that happens, how ready is the church going to be? That is actually what happens in revival. Revival is not so much having altar calls. It's actually having places for people to come. 
It's not how much the preaching is. It's how much the worship and the confession is. It's how much worship is. It's how people just come. In revivals, they don't have healing conferences. They don't have salvation altar calls because people are getting saved and coming. They're coming into the meeting and getting healed. But in the process, there's a thing called church, so you've got to take them somewhere. Before that, there is the intense sowing of the word. Here's a principle. You cannot reap what you have not sowed. Friends, if you have not sowed the word of God in your life, you've got nothing to reap in your life. What you've sowed in the church and confession about this church gives you the right to reap what's been sowed by confession in this church. What if you sowed into your life by the, your husband and wife living together, sowed into your lives prophetically, because what you're living now is what was sown in there five years ago. If you want a job promotion, start sowing, confessing, working, attitude, joy, whatever it is, towards that so that you can get a promotion. Most of our lives are sit back waiting for the moment. No, that's not how the kingdom works. There's seed time and harvest, and that's a principle of how the kingdom works. You want a bigger church? You want to go to five services a day? Hallelujah. Sow the seed. You're going to reap the harvest. First, the plow goes in. You, you, everyone goes out. You've got to plow up those hearts. Sow the seed in. Let the rain and the water and the prayer come. And then suddenly spring, reap, they get saved. It's got to be that principle. And so many of the church life, most Christians' lives, are just sitting around, oh, with God only. Oh, maybe God would. Sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty. You wait forever. Whereas God says, go. Go. Say. Speak. Do these things. That's evangelism. And I know a lot of times I've, I've been under this thing too. So we've got an evangelism program starting next month. Hallelujah. So if you want to be come and be a part of this, come and be a part of the program. No. Evangelism is not a program. It's a lifestyle. It's why this happens. It's the reason why the church is here. Thank you for the two amens. It's that. Honestly, it is. So let me just read. Okay, let me forget that because I know. Okay. Let me say this. There are there are two prayers God will never answer. He'll never answer things He's already asked us to go and do. He won't answer that prayer. He's already said, go lay hands on the sick, they will recover. So you needn't ask Him, Lord, if I go lay hands on the sick, will they recover? He's not going to answer that because He's already said it's going to happen. The other question is, Lord, should I go and win souls and save lives? He's not going to answer that question because he's already said, go. So if you, people are wondering, is it God's will that I do this? The answer is yes. Absolutely. It's a non, you just don't need to ask those things. So many people pray, 
God, is it your will that I do this? You're not going to get an answer because it's already there. Read it. It's already happened. So, I was going to talk on how to awaken harvesters um, because Jesus said in Matthew 9, he went about all the cities teaching and preaching uh, and, and healing. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, scattered. So there were sheep and there were shepherds, but the shepherds didn't know where to take the sheep, didn't know what to feed them, and the sheep didn't know which shepherd to go to, which had the food. So there was church and there was congregations, but chaos. And then he said, Lord, then he said, pray for harvesters to come. Pray for the workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the harvesters are few. Here's the thing. We often say the fields are white under harvest. In other words, there's a crop out there is ready to be harvested. Have you ever seen a farmer stand at the edge of the field looking at this incredible wheat crop or maize crop or potatoes or whatever, standing there looking and saying, man, look at that crop. It's ready. I could reap this. It would be amazing. But I have no one to reap it. Oh, I wish I had someone to reap it. It's so ready. It's not about the crop, friends. It's about the harvesters. And that's evangelism. Harvesters, it says, are workers. Harvesters are savers. Harvesters are those who go and reap. And so what did he do? The first thing that he ever did, which I find is the first thing anywhere about church leadership, is that he summoned his 12 to him. He called them to himself in Matthew 10. And he gave them authority. He deputized them. I'm the sheriff. Here, you are a deputy sheriff. You have the same authority in my jurisdiction to do what I do. So here's my authority, a badge, my name. Deputy sheriff. I am sheriff. He's Jesus. We are Christian. And he sent them out two by two. Go and do what I do. Yes, sir. I keep law and order. I keep the kingdom of God is at hand. I manifest the kingdom of God upon the earth. Where disease is, there's not disease in heaven. Disease has to leave. It doesn't come behind me. It goes backwards in front of me. He cast out demons. They couldn't stand up in front of those 12. Were they educated? Were they trained? Were they clever? No, they didn't even have the Holy Spirit in them. And when they came back, they said, Gee, Lord, even the demons manifest. And you know the story says, Great, that's wonderful. I'm going to deputize another 72. Go and pick six men, six people. You become a leader of a team. And I'm going to send you into the towns into which I'm about to come. Now he's going into a city invasion, from a community invasion to a city invasion with a 70. And he sent them again, authority and deputize. He's never stopped that. Then there, was Acts, then there was Acts 2, bang, 120, voo, fire. Then it goes to Acts 4 and then goes on and it just keeps going. That principle's never stopped. Friends, I want you to know this. If you want to grow in leadership, go and win souls. Yeah. It's not about, oh, I'm an elder now. It's great to be an elder. It's good to be in that. It's good to desire. But it doesn't stop you at that point. 
When you're an elder, it doesn't mean to say you stop doing this and you, everybody else does it. No, it means that you continue doing it. Kelly and I, we, we just kept doing this. We, we just had a love and just saw people getting changed. We saw demons leave. Oh, my goodness. We can tell you the dead raised all sorts of things. Not that that's the final thing. But it's it's not about the manifestations. It's about the people coming into the kingdom with joy, knowing that they that headache that that everything's gone. And there's a God that loves them. That which is lost is demonstrated. It's not so much talked about. Demonstration. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to jump right over here to Luke five. Okay, it's the last page here. I'm kind of going all over the place because trying to capture you. Look, chapter 5, verse 1, and here we have the story. Let me just read it for you, 5, verse 1. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to him, the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying by the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he got into one of them, the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him if he could just go out a little way from the land. And he sat down, sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. And while he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets, plural, for a, for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, and I will, but I will do as you say and let down the nets, plural. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they, cannot, they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had done, taken. And so he, and so also were James and John and sons of Zebedee, and they were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Simon, do not fear. From now on you'll be catching men. Just a few things from this here. First of all, there are three phases in that. First phase is Jesus' teaching on the land. I think a first phase of ministry and leadership is that you are occupied on land where you are. Second phase, because of the pressure of the ministry, he gets into a boat and casts out a little bit on the edge of the lake. That way he has a greater amplitude, vector, size to speak to the crowd. You're getting away from what you're used to into something that you're not used to. You're on water. Third phase, you're in the deep. Very few people reach the third phase of ministry in their lives because they get caught up with what they're standing in and they don't want to untie from the shore and drift. But when you're out there in the third phase of ministry, that's when you do things that you don't normally do, and that's when you see things that you don't normally see. And it involves more things than you yourself. So that, let me come back to this. I want you to see this. When a city cries out for a harvest, he comes. Notice everyone had left the city there on the shore of a lake. The teacher comes when the students are ready. When you invite a guest ministry into a church and you're expectant, you get what happens. You get what's carried. When you come because it's a meeting, you don't get much from the meeting. When you come on a Sunday and you're expecting from more from God, 
you're going to get more. That's the beginning of revival. You can carry that in your hearts. When you're tired and you want to see more of God happen, you're going to get it. Others in the same meeting won't see what you see. They don't hear what's said, but they hear what the voice of the Father is saying, and they leave filled, refreshed. So Peter's boat, they toiled all night and caught nothing. First thing, I worked all night and I'm tired. That's the attitude of most Christians. I come to church and I'm tired. No, you've come to church, but you actually haven't come to church. You're doing the thing because it's a thing done. When that changes, there's something happens. Something vibrant happens. I want to encourage you over this weekend and the rest of the year, come to church, not because we've been fishing all night. That thing that you've been doing in the dark all the time has not shed light on your life and you cannot see what you're looking for. But when you get into that right place, when you begin to win souls, and you begin to have the love for people and you begin to push forward in the things of God, you'll begin to catch a revelation. You will see the eyes of your heart will be enlightened truly. I know a lot more about fishing than this carpenter does. It's not there in the Bible, but there's Peter. I've been doing this all my life. You're a carpenter. I know you. You think you know what I'm doing? And you get all that type of stuff. So you're a Christian. How come you're a deacon and I'm not? How come you're an elder suddenly and you're planting a church? I know who you are. No, you don't. You knew me in the flesh, but you didn't know me in the spirit. So here, here was this, this constant thing that happens. So who do you think you are that you're doing what you're doing? How come you're the leader? How come God does that to you and doesn't do it to me? Well, the thing is, you've been fishing all night. Or you just think, what good thing can come out of this carpenter? He could do no mighty work there except lay his hands on a few sick people. And he marveled at their unbelief. Why? Because they saw him as a carpenter. We need to see people as God sees them because when you see people as God sees them, you'll get what God has for you through those people. There's something very different. The next thing is, um, the best fishing is at, is, is at night. So, so, you know, here we are. I didn't know. Sorry, did I miss that one? I've jumped one. Best fishing is at night. I think this is what this means. We want to be so seeker sensitive. We want to keep it so simple that we don't want to offend anyone. Hey, listen, I know the gospel. It offends people big time. The book of Acts has two themes, faith or fury. If you have faith, you're going to have fury. Because when people moved with faith, people also moved in fury. Acts at the gate, beautiful. What happened? This man stood up and began to walk. Guess what happened to them? How can you do this? We thought we had killed this man, Jesus. I don't know. Bang in jail. Oh, hallelujah. This is the gospel. Hallelujah. That calls this, and 3,000 got saved? Amen. That's what it's about. It's breaking paradigms. Another one, all the crowds have scared the fish away. Look at all these people. They've scared the fish away. Jesus, you want to go fishing in daylight? Well, what are they saying? You know what? The basics don't work. Or you don't understand the realms of the anointing of the Word of God. 
Because when we go fishing, we catch fish. When we go preaching, people get saved. Oh, we've been trying this all night. We, we know you're a carpenter. We, you don't know how to do this thing. And, uh, and you know the people. I mean, come on. Let's go look at him. He says, yeah. Because you've been doing the thing without faith. You haven't been exercising it with confidence. And that's why the crop is not there. But when you start preaching this gospel with a manifestation of the evidence of the power of God, people will come. You'll have crowds following your shoreline. There's going to be that great change. So you can imagine what was going on in that boat. We've already washed our nets. We've quit. We're waiting for the right time. We're waiting for the moon to come. We're so waiting for the when this happens. We're trusting on the economy. You're going to trust on this. No, it's got nothing to do. It's about washing your nets. Yeah, you have. You've studied every single square of that net. You become so theologically orientated that you become no harvest potential. And you know what? You're fixing that net because you're so gentle. No, you need to go and cast that net. That throw, that means abandon that net out into the waters. We need to be, I tell you, the church that is casting itself, abandoning itself into the community is going to bring change. Absolutely. It's called evangelism. It's called revival. It's called church. Jesus may know religion, but not fishing. You know, Jesus, you, you go and do your thing, we'll do our thing. Just don't try and mix it. And I heard this one comment. Hey, my friend, it's not about your pond. It's not about your fish tank in the house. It's not about your pet projects. Jesus crashed through every situation and caused havoc in every town. Do you remember in Mark chapter 2? Four men brought a paralytic to the door. They couldn't get in. And I love the word. Jesus was inside preaching the word to them. It's in the Bible. He preached the word. Yes, it's the word of God. So they didn't think, oh, you know what? We're a bit late. There's no parking space for us. Our best seats are taken. We're going to go home. No, you know what they did? They caused what happened to your roof. They, they climbed through the roof. They bust through. The, in other words, nothing stopped them. I love that kind of thing. And, and was Jesus upset? Oh, man. Call nine, call the fire department, get the insurance company. Yeah, no, no he, wasn't, he didn't care less about what's politically correct and what should economically be done and what should be done, safety feature, etc. He says, bring it on because if you can't get through the door, come through the roof. And I say it this way, we need to break some ceilings in our own lives. Because we put the limitations on ourselves. Hey, brother, you can't do that. That's not what we do here. Really, we are going to do it here from now on. We're going to shut down the walls. We're going to realign things and read. What's that word I said? Re redesign uh, something. You know that thing? Yeah, come on. It's, the gospel to me is wild. Yeah, there you go. That's yours now. You got it. You can have that one, eh? It came. Absolutely. I remember coming back from KwaZulu Natal up on the Makatini Flats, stopped off somewhere. There was a, a witch doctor there by the name of Mali Gomedi. And so I saw this place, big advert. He, he runs a school for all the children that he has from his, I don't know, 12 wives that he's got. So it's just a whole community that's his. He's, and so I thought, I'm going to go down there on my motorcycle. I'm going to go and greet him. 
My friends, they stopped on the road and said, we'll pray for you. You know, you know they're going, they're going, we'll pray for you. You go ahead. We'll back you up in prayer. All right. You're chicken. You, you, you. So I went down there, and he wasn't there, but there was the cars, the Mercedes and everything. And this guy comes up to me. He's dressed like you know how they do. And I said, I've got a message for you. And please tell your superior, the man that you serve here, that there is a one who's greater than you and he's about to come. And you will stand before him and you'll give an account of everything that you've done in your life. And when you look in his eyes, he will be looking at you with fire in his eyes. And you'll know that's the wrong thing that you've done. Tell him his name's Jesus. He's coming back. Thank you. Goodbye. Shook his hand and left. Yeah, come on. Come on. As I often say, let's go and pick a fight. We say, oh, Jesus, I'm going to pray about that. When you know the Christian thing, I'll pray about it. No, you won't. You go do it, then pray about it. Or pray about it on the way. Hey? It's too late. You get there, and then you have to pray and change gears. And you get into it. Come on. At your word, he let down the nets. I love that. Look at this, and Master, he says, um, verse 5, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. I'll do what you have said. I'll, I'll do, obey your word. That word master is the word commander. And when that happens, I understand there's a little different thing going on that boat. He's not just a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet. There was something different. He says, commander. And you know what that means? It's a militant term. In other words, you are in full charge here. But what you say, I will do. Now, when you look back at the centurion, the centurion says, you just say the word, it will happen. Because the centurion knew that when he said something, it's going to happen. You see, that's called faith in the Bible. When you say what he has said, he will keep doing what he has always done. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's happened with the church and with people is that they've locked themselves out of the timeline. Jesus is not ruled by 12 hours. He's ruled by what you say. Because when you say what you, he has said, he instantly is the same then. He can do it the same now. He's not stopped. We don't go into history and say, oh, well, he used to. Now, that's how we read the Bible most times. We read it as past tense, when it's to be read in present tense, now. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When? When? When is faith? Now. Because that's the first word it says. Now faith. Now faith. So let me come to the end here. At your word. There was light. At his word, the sun and the moon and the stars were created. At his word, creation was held together. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made or taken its origin out of the things which are visible. So how did he make this world? He just spoke it, friends. He didn't take a grain of sand from somewhere else. He just said it. See the power of God's words? It's for the church. No other organization on earth has this power but us, the church. Then he says, 
Hebrews 1.3 says, This is the, the one who imprinted with God's image, shimmering with his glory, sustains all that exists through the power of his word, or the word of his power. That's the true translation, the word of his power. The word, who said it? He did. When he says it, that's his power. But the, what he said is his word. So his word represents who said it, because he said it. Now when you speak the Bible, you're saying what God says. Ooh. So what happened if a president of a so-and-so and a king of a so-and-so and a queen of a so-and-so comes? Guess what? The word of God has more power than they do in their nation. Because thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's the power of God's word. So, here's the truth. Here's another thing about evangelism. They cast the net in. It was full. They hauled it onto the boat. The boat was sinking. They called for partners. We need to work with partners. So who's the friendly church to this church? It's called a partner. A church that goes fishing when you go fishing. That's a partner. A church that's got its own net, but it's also in the same pond. And also will come when they're called because they value what you do. They'll help you carry the harvest in. Who owns the harvest? They don't. He does. What stops it is most times to say, no, our people, our belief, you come to our... No, it's about the kingdom. It's about that. So we need people who harvest and throw nets and whose nets work well together, who network together. You be cast the net to network. And so we need to take over places and communities by not just being individual evangelism, but we also need to work with other churches. And I tell you what, the Elizabethan and the Mary churches need to come together. The Elizabethan, the old moves of God, the carriers of John the Baptist, the proclamation of what's to come. The old historic churches need to work with the Mary churches, the new young churches who get pregnant, who are full of life through unknown means, but by direct revelation. When they meet together, something jumps in the spirit and the womb because there's a destiny of nations locked up inside both the old and the new. When they come together and they begin to network, something happens. Most times when a new move of God starts, we say we don't want to do anything with the old. Guess what? You're losing a huge inheritance. And so I know this is a little prophetic what I see happening in the country of South Africa. Is there's going to be a time, as there is in Poland, where the Catholic churches there, they are full of the Holy Spirit. People are getting healed in Catholic churches. In the midst of all their silver and all the altars and all the candles, people are getting saved and healed in the middle of it. Friends, it's got nothing to do with decor. It's got everything to do with the heart. The heart is there. And when that happens, things change. Things change. Amen. So is anyone here tonight sick, suffering with sickness in their bodies? Would you just lift your hand if you are? 
and trusting God to heal. Okay. Okay, would you stand in your seats? Stand where you are. Thank you for being honest and being vulnerable because I've talked tonight about evangelism, about power, signs, and wonders, and healing. And absolutely, that's what God does. Thank you, Lord. So, do you believe God heals? Yes? Believe He heals tonight? Absolutely. I do too. Tonight is termination time. It's not going to happen again. What's, what you're carrying, what's affecting you, it's over tonight. Because if this word is not true, I might as well throw that away and say it's not a time to read it. Okay, so I'm wanting two or three people who have enough faith in them to know that God does what he does to come and stand next to any one of these that are here. Just come and stand next to them so that you will lay hands on them. It's not about me. It's about the Word of God. Okay, It's about the Word of God. It's about what God has told us to do. So just come and stand next to them. <clears throat> Man, would you come over here? So I want you to see this. When you pray for the sick, I want you to stand in front of the person. Okay. So if, you, if you're praying for someone, stand in front of them. Why? Because you carry the authority. You carry the authority. And so you stand in front of them because that's the one you're directing the anointing and the power and the word to. Most times, sometimes in Christianity, we see people standing like this. Guess what? How does that person feel? Do you really care? Am I that important? Do you really believe in the prayer that you're going to say quietly around the side? Amen. No, that's, that doesn't help. And so I've, we've learned that when you pray for the sick, you stand in front of them. Why? Because you're confronting something that's in them that they don't like, they don't want, and they've come up saying, I don't want this anymore. And so you are authority upon earth to decree and declare God's kingdom and his word over that person. Jesus says, it is finished. Yes, yeah, sickness. He took it to the grave. It stayed there. He rose again. He's destroyed the power of sin and sickness. The ultimate function, purpose of sin and sickness is to destroy your life prematurely. When healing comes, it gives you a testimony to go and tell that God still lives and he's around. That's the power of testimony. So whatever sickness it is, Jesus didn't say, well, I healed neurological sicknesses today. Oh, it's Wednesday. I, I only healed blood diseases on Wednesday. He didn't say that. He just said sickness. So no matter what it is and whatever medicine is categorized the sicknesses into, Jesus said it's sickness and disease. Sickness is a sickness of the soul. Oppression, depression, ADT, all these, what are these things? DSTV, all these names they give. <laughs> all, all these post-traumatic stress, PTSD, huh? PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. They've got all these names to categorize you to say you need this pill for that. Why not they're making money off you? Come on, they're making money. They, they, they'll sell you anything. But God says it's disease, sickness, and it's terminated. So I want you to take your right hand. Look at it. Everyone, take your right hand. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 4. 
says this, and the palm of your hand is the hiding place of his power. Go and look it up. And the palm of your hand is the lightnings of God, is the hiding place of, that's Old Testament. Now, New Testament, he says, go lay hands on the sick. Now you know why. <laughs> when you lay your hands on someone, there is the hiding place of his power. Power comes out of your hands as a believer. It goes into them, causing sickness to go and leave. It knows it's under attack because you are doing what he's told you to do. You lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. From the second that hands are laid upon the sick, from that second, people start recovering. They recover. It takes three days medically to get a result from taking antibiotics. Guess where they got that from? You take the gospel. The gospel. You take that, you get healed. Three days. Sorted. We've seen it so much. Sometimes it's instant. That's a miracle. But healing takes a process. Don't throw away healing because you haven't got an instant result. You keep healing and get the result. By faith, you walk by faith. Amen? Amen. So when you do, stand in front of them, lay hands on them, ask them what's wrong, what do you, what do you ask them, what is it that you want God to do for you? And they will say, I'm trusting God to heal me of this. Perfect. So not a good thing to say to someone, what's wrong with you? Because they'll tell you what's wrong. And that's not wrong. What you want to do is say, what do you want God to do for you? And they'll tell you their disease and their problem. But they've already said God's going to help them. So it's the power of the tongue. It's what you say. You're sowing seed. God's going to do this. And then you speak to that sickness. You love them, but you, you speak to that sickness. Sickness is a thing. Put it this way. How many of you would allow a pig to come and stay in your house? Oh, sweet little pig, come. Come into the kitchen. Eat what anything you want. Sleep on my bed. Mess anywhere you want. My carpet is fine. I understand it's soft. You can. Now, guess what? What would you do if a pig came there? You'd say, hey, you, get out. And that doesn't understand English or anything, so you give it a bit of help, right? A big help. And you shut the gate and you say, don't come back here ever. If you do, you'll be hanging on the rack and in my fridge. Just don't, <laughs> just don't come back. That's how you deal with sickness. You tell it to get out of this house. You say, you get out. I didn't ask you to come in. You have no legal right to be here. You are illegally squatting in my house. Get out. That's how you pray for the sick. But you love them, but not the sickness. Yeah. Because why? That's called authority. With authority, he even commanded demons to leave, and they left. See, that's the authority the church needs to have again. So when you pray for that person, pray that way, with boldness, with courage, with confidence and knowing that God will do what he said he would do. And you, the person who's been prayed for, your language changes. You don't go looking for the sickness again. Joe, where did that sickness go? Man, I've lost it. No, you have. It's not there. It's leaving. <laughs> Most times we said we've lost what we are carrying. And here's the thing. Sympathy is not compassion. Sympathy is counterfeit compassion. Compassion, because of the love of the people, is the riverbed of the power of God. Divine love and action. Faith and hope are the riverbanks of divine love and action. When you have that for people, God just seems to flow and bring about absolute change in people's lives.
Amen. Amen. So it's going to change tonight for you. So come, just pray for your, the person with you that you're standing in front of and pray loudly. And the rest of us, we can just agree with them as they're doing so. Amen.